Proverbs chapter 26. Like snow in summer, or rain in harvest, honour is not fitting for a fool. Like a fluttering sparrow, or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the backs of fools. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Sending a message by the hands of a fool is like cutting off one's feet, or drinking poison. Like the useless legs of one who is lame is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Like tying a stone in a sling is a giving of honour to a fool. Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Like an archer who wounds at random is one who hires a fool or any passerby. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. A sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. Like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel not their own. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbour and says, I was only joking. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Like a coating of silver, dross on earthenware, are fervent lips with an evil heart. Enemies disguise themselves with their lips, but in their hearts they harbour deceit. Though their speech is charming, do not believe them, for seven abominations fill their hearts. Their malice may be concealed by deception, but their wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Well, hi there. It's great to be joining you for week three of our Proverbs series. I do hope you've had a chance to download the outline and to print it out. You'll find it really helpful for today's talk. Um, just as we do, as you get yourself organised and we get set up, I wanted to announce the first winner of our competition for our Proverbs uh, entry comp Proverbs competition. I remember, I've been encouraging people to send in their favourite proverb, um, how they've tried to apply it and why it's been significant to them. And there's this great prize pack available. So I'm delighted to announce that John is the first winner this week. Thank you, John. Here's what John said. Proverbs 16, verse 1. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. Why has he chosen that one? Well, it continually challenges me to remember that I can plan, reason and hope, but ultimately I must have faith that my human limitations are overridden by the sovereignty of God.
How's he tried to apply it? John says, I've tried to make it a spiritual discipline to roll my intentions upon him by faith and trust that he will do what he has promised. That is, he will cause my thoughts to agree with his will for my life. Thanks so much, John, for sharing with us. Uh, this is your prize pack. I'll get it to you somehow. And uh, to everyone else, please do keep sending them in. Uh, a pack a week, a winner each week, but more importantly, a way to encourage each other uh, in this church family. Well, uh, if you have that handout in front of you by now, um, you should be able to see what I'm going to talk about today. I've called this talk Ethics by Sound Bites. And um, if you've been reading um, Proverbs a chapter a day, taking my chapter a day challenges, I've been encouraging you, you should be up to somewhere between chapters 10 through 12 by now. And that'll put you right in the middle of those pithy sayings, those one-liners for which Proverbs is so famous. Uh, you're probably thinking to yourself, what on earth is Jeff going to do with chapter 26 today? Um, are we just going to work through the whole chapter line by line and verse by verse? Uh, because if so, uh, that will either be a very long sermon or just a rather strange sermon because there doesn't appear to be any logical flow. Well, I thought I'd explain briefly why I've chosen the whole of chapter 26 to be read, uh, as you've just heard. Uh, firstly, chapter 26 is a good sample of those one-liners for which Proverbs is so famous, uh, those sound bites which we normally associate with the book. So it's a good sample chapter. Chapter 26 also contains some of the strangest paradoxes in the whole of the book of Proverbs. Uh, you remember back in talk one, uh, we heard chapter 26 verse 4 remind a uh, warn against answering a fool according to his folly, just before verse 5 said, answer a fool according to his folly. But actually the main reason why I wanted to preach on 26, chapter 26 is because it has some of my favourite sayings. Uh, I've previously mentioned verses 18 through 19, uh, like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbour and says, I was only joking. But I'm equally fascinated by verse 15 in chapter 26. Uh, verse 15, and the sluggard who buries his hand in a dish, but is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth to eat. Well, here's my goal for today. And it's a step back from trying to interpret individual proverbs, uh, useful though that would be. Rather, my goal today is to show us how to make sense of all the pithy sayings in the book. And to give you a heads up, I'm actually going to finish with a homework task for you. Uh, oh goody, I hear you say. Well, if you have a look on the outline, you'll see what I'm going to cover there. Five problems with those pithy sayings. Secondly, Jeff's five top tips for interpreting Proverbs. And then finally, what next? Well, firstly, five problems with those pithy sayings. Uh, just a quick reminder of some of the challenges that we face when it comes to doing ethics by sound bites. And each of these are listed there on your handout. Firstly, as we've already seen, some of the Proverbs seem to contradict each other, like verses 4 and 5 about answering a fool according to his folly and then not answering a fool according to his folly. Second problem with these pithy sayings, many of them don't seem to come true in practice. Many of them don't seem to come true in practice. So take, for example, the heartbreak of Christian parents if their children don't grow up as believers. Proverbs 22, verse 6, Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. What happens when this does not eventuate? 
Third problem with these pithy sayings, uh, and I want to acknowledge this, some of them have been horribly mis misinterpreted and tragically misapplied. Now let me read to you Proverbs 13, verse 24. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline. Sadly, this is one of those proverbs that has been used to justify all sorts of completely unacceptable behaviour by parents. Fourth problem, uh, and in many ways, this is the big one. This is the big one. Similar proverbs have vastly different rationale and motives. Similar proverbs have vastly different rationale and motives. Take the three that I've listed there on your handout. Proverbs 23, verse 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Proverbs 29, verse 17. Discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. And Proverbs 29, 15. A rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Now, they're all Proverbs about the importance of discipline, but did you notice how the motivation or the reason for it was very different? One seems to say, discipline your children because it's good for them. One seems to say, discipline your children because it's good for you. And one seems to say, discipline your children because you're worried about what other people will think of you. This is so important that we're going to return to this idea of motive at the end of the talk. And so to the fifth and final problem with those pithy sayings, well, here's what it is. There are just so many proverbs that it feels like there's more than one for every possible situation in life. It almost feels as if, therefore, we're free to pick and choose the proverbs, to use them as we will, when we like, choosing our favourites. And if I'm honest, that's one of the reasons why I've tended to avoid the book of Proverbs, because I felt like it could say anything to justify my behaviour at any point in time. And yet, 2 Timothy 3.16, as we saw right back at the start of the series, all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. And so we cannot just dismiss Proverbs that easily. Well, there's a brief summary of some of the problems with those pithy sayings. Let me turn then in point two, and this is the main part of the talk, to trying to give you some help as to how you'll interpret uh, those sound bites. And I've called this Jeff's five top tips for interpreting Proverbs. Jeff's five top tips for interpreting Proverbs. Uh, I've done that because it's kind of all the rage these days. You watch YouTube videos on top tips on how to do things. So today we're going to see Jeff's five top tips on how to interpret Proverbs. Well, top tip number one, remember the big idea. Proverbs describes probabilities, not promises. Proverbs describes probabilities, not promises. Another way of putting this is to say that the book of Proverbs focuses on the general rule, not on all the possible exceptions. Uh, although those exceptions usually end up confirming the rule in the first place. Now that's in contrast to some of the other Old Testament wisdom books that are almost entirely about the exceptions, about the variations. So, for example, the book of Ecclesiastes, which is about what to do when work seems meaningless, 
or the book of Job when suffering cannot be explained. Proverbs is all about probabilities, about what is likely to happen as a result of particular behaviour. Proverbs, not probabilities. And the importance of this point is that it means there are no guarantees. There are no guarantees. So to come back to Proverbs 22 verse 6, there is no guarantee that children of Christian parents will grow up to become believers. No guarantee. But it's much more likely if parents choose to raise their child as a believer than if they don't. So here's my very profound summary, and on your handout you'll see I've asked you to circle one of the two sayings there. Proverbs are mostly true versus Proverbs are always true. Circle the first one. Proverbs are mostly true. Now if Proverbs describe probabilities and not promises, if there are no guarantees, then what we really need to interpret them is wisdom is wisdom. Wisdom to choose the right proverb, wisdom to apply the right proverb. And that's why the structure of the whole book is so important. That's why we keep coming back to it over and over again. Uh, that diagram is there on the bottom left of your handout, but also on the screen behind me. You recall the way in which the book is laid out. There's an introduction and a conclusion. The first nine chapters are all about instructions before chapters 10 through 31 are all about the sayings. The book has been set up to tell us that we need instruction in wise ways before we can apply those sayings wisely. We need instruction in those wise ways, section two, before we can apply those sayings wisely, section three. That's why last week's talk, talk two, was all about choose wisdom, not folly. And in fact, you see that principle reiterated right, in chapter, right here in chapter 26, in verse 9, which was read to us earlier. Uh, chapter 26, verse 9, like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Top tip number two. Wherever possible, consider the context. Wherever possible, consider the context. You remember the dilemma that I shared with you in the first talk of this series? It was over chapter 30, verse 15, and the fact that I have two teenage daughters, and Proverbs 30, verse 15 says, the leech has two daughters, give, give, they cry. I expressed how I wasn't really quite sure what that had meant. Well, if I'd actually read on to verse 16... I would have discovered what the point of verse 15 was. Look at it with me. I printed there on your handout. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. There are three things that are never satisfied. Four that never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, land which is never satisfied with water, and fire which never says enough. You see, verse 16 is explaining that verse 15 was describing the universal experience of dissatisfaction, of how we always crave more. And that discontent is hardwired into us. It's innate to human nature. You even see it in creation itself. 
What this means is that there is a value in reading proverbs in order, and not just the random open and point shoot method, uh, sorry, the random open and point method that so often we employ. There is a value in reading proverbs in order, not just cherry picking the ones that are our favourites. Hence my challenge to just read a chapter a day over the course of the month and let it flow on its own terms. In fact, the content curator has at times deliberately grouped particular proverbs together. He's created larger collections that enable us to get the flow. And chapter 26 actually is one of those examples. It's the other reason why I picked it. You'll see that I've laid out chapter 26 on your handout in three sections because verses 1 through 12 are all about fools, verses 13 through 16 are all about laziness, and verses 17 through 28 are all about the power of words. So, top tip number two, wherever possible, consider the context. Top tip number three, and this is the big one for me, Top tip number three, don't quote a proverb before you've read every proverb on that topic. Don't quote a proverb before you've read every proverb on that topic. The reason I say that is because Proverbs 26 verses 4 and 5, remember, answer a fool according to his folly, don't answer a fool according to his folly. By placing them back to back, I think the content curator is reminding us that we need both of those sayings at different points in life. Which of course means that what we'll need more than anything is wisdom to decide which to apply in a particular situation. You see, the reason I think the content curator has listed them one after the other is to prevent us from lurching to extremes, to only adopting one and never taking account of the other. When, remember what I said in top tip number one? Both are mostly true. They are not always true. Because Proverbs deals with probabilities, not with promises. Part of what that means is that we need to accept, actually, that life is too complex and too complicated for formulas We need to be aware of simplistic reductionism, even though, to be frank, it's much easier. Of course, the only problem is it's easier because it doesn't require effort, but it leads to extremism. Actually, different proverbs will speak better in different situations, and it's Lady Wisdom who will help us to choose. Now, the best book that I've read on this topic to help this is the one that I've listed there on the handout by Tim Challies. It's called The Discipline of Spiritual Discernment. Uh, and actually, it's uh, there in the book series, in the book prize. So another incentive for you to enter the competition. Top tip number four. Embrace the God-given freedom we all have. Embrace the God-given freedom we all have. 
If Proverbs describes probabilities and not promises, it allows for freedom in the Christian life. That means that within God's moral boundaries of what is right and what is wrong, there are different ways for each of us to express that freedom. You see, not every decision is black and white. Sometimes you answer a fool according to his folly, and sometimes you don't. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying you can pick and choose as you see fit. What I'm actually saying here is beware the person who insists my way is the only wise way. How often do we imply that to others? Or even suggest it with our tone of voice, with a raised eyebrow. I personally wouldn't do that, but I suppose it's not a completely stupid idea for you to do so. I was talking with one of our students on campus the other day. Uh, She's a second year med student. I was asking her what she would do when she graduated eventually in about a thousand years time after she finishes her studies. Do you know that when she graduates, she's free to choose to become a GP or a surgeon or a physician? Just as she's free to choose to do something completely different if she wants. Uh, It's true, there are limits around what she ought to do, so she ought not become a drug dealer or an axe murderer. But within God's moral boundaries, she has freedom. Just as her ES classmate has similar freedom to decide what he would like to do. Ultimately, Christian ethics focuses less on the decision itself and far more on how to live that decision out. See, ultimately what matters, to use a New Testament phrase here, what matters is that we conduct ourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. So, back to my second year med student and what will she do when she graduates? Well, the Bible's less interested in what job should she choose and far more interested in in how ought she work when the boss isn't around. How can she be selfless, not selfish, in the workplace? How does she avoid seeking ultimate satisfaction from her labour, because that would be idolatry. And our identity is defined not by what we do, but by the way that Christ alone sees us. Can I admit and acknowledge at this point that as a pastor, I find this very challenging? I need constant reminding that although wisdom is learned in community, we saw that idea last week, others don't answer to me as their pastor. We all answer to Jesus. Because ultimately what each of us longs to hear is our master's commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. And that means, to return to my earlier point, our motives matter. Our motives matter. Why we do what we do matters to Jesus. 
the wise person in this regard is honest enough to admit their own capacity for self-deception. The wise person constantly seeks out constructive criticism from others because the best way to test your motives is to be transparent and open, uh, transparent about them. I'm often telling the students that I work with, it's easier to sin in private, so make your life as public as is appropriate. Well, top tip number five, aim for, perfe aim for perfection, not the minimum passing grade. Aim for perfection, not the minimum passing grade. Do you remember what Jesus said when asked in Luke 10, what must I do to inherit eternal life? When he was asked that question by an expert in the law? Well, Jesus' answer was actually very simple. Love God, love your neighbour as yourself. Simple, but not simplistic, because it's actually terribly hard to live out. You see that with the inevitable follow-up question that came to him, well, who then is my neighbour? To which Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan to insist that for us as his people, we are not to settle for the bare minimum, but we are to strive towards the highest calling possible. Jesus is insisting that Christian freedom which we all delight in, Christian freedom always leans towards self-sacrifice, not self-gratification. Christian freedom always leans towards self-sacrifice, not self-gratification. Or a slightly different way of putting that is to say that Jesus is neither legalistic nor libertarian. You know, during lockdown, We've seen the legalist in each of us. The legalist as we condemn others for flouting the rules, even whilst the libertarians inside of us secretly tries to work out how much we can get away with if no one else knows. Jesus is simple, but not simplistic. Above all, I think, by putting love God before love neighbour, Jesus is reminding us that God's mercy is always prior and primary. God's mercy is always prior and primary. So, aim for perfection, but don't be devastated when you, get when you don't get there. Because his unfailing love is new every morning. Well, problems with those pithy sayings, some top tips for interpreting them. What next? Well, point three, I'm going to wrap it up at this point, and I'm going to wrap up by setting you some homework. Oh, goody, I hear you say. If you look at the bottom of the handout there, you'll see that I've got a for discussion or reflection. Um, this week, I'm asking you to pick a theme from Proverbs and trace it throughout the whole book. Pick a theme from Proverbs and trace it throughout the whole book. Now, I want to say that that's actually much easier than it used to be because we have electronic Bibles that will do the keyword searching for us. And this is a task that you could do on your own 
or you could do it in your household, or you could do it in your small group. Now, what, what theme should you pick? Well, in keeping with what I've said today, you're free to choose. It might be a theme that's to do with your particular station in life. Uh, maybe it might be about marriage or parenting or youth or ageing. Or it could be a theme that is less situation-specific and more about your character in every circumstance. Maybe something about speech and words or truthfulness and honesty or diligence and laziness. As you're feeling really courageous, really gutsy, perhaps you might pick a theme that explores how others are to conduct themselves. Uh, so, for example, kids, you might choose one about parenting. Not so that you can smugly point out all your parents' deficiencies, but rather that you might better empathise with them and might help them on their journey because that's the very definition of self-sacrifice. Um, I'm going to tackle one next week, but I'm not going to tell you which one right now. You'll find out next week when we gather together. A final suggestion as we finish up, you'll see at the bottom of your handout, if you'd like to think more about how to interpret specific Proverbs, I've made reference to an article there called Interpreting Proverbs um, by a fellow called McCabe. You can download that from the chat or from the weekly update that got sent around. That's really helpful. And the last thing to say is, once again, please do enter the competition that we might encourage each other. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen.